Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. All right. Good morning, church. My name is Ellen Freemian, and I'm just really glad to be with all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I serve on the preaching team, and we do have a preaching team here, if you're not aware. Um, Brandon leads that with um, Mr. Elijah and Mr. John, um, both um, elders here, and I um, get to join that group as well. So it's been a really uh, big blessing in my life um, to get to serve in that capacity, and I hope that all of you were enriched and um, just had new considerations with the Lord as we did our calling series. And now we're going to be entering into a psalm series as we uh, go into our time of rest and prepare for that for the rest of the summer. So each week you're going to hear a different psalm that's been chosen by the person preaching the message. Um, and it's a psalm that's meaningful to them and they are going to just share their heart with you and hope to bring you into a place of rest and worship before God. So we're going to start out today with one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles, they'll be of great reference. Either you can use a Bible app or the actual book itself, if you're old school. Um, so let's read together, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind me and before me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Well, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is as light to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you have formed me, my inmost parts. You have knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows this very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. 
I do, I, I, do I not hate those that hate you, O God? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Amen. Would you pray for, um, with me before we get started? Oh God, thank you that we have a history with you, as we'll talk about today, that we can come before you because you know our thoughts, you know my words even now before I speak them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would sent, be sent out among us, your hearers of the word, so that you would transform us to be doers of it, to live into these promises that you have for us, these mercies, these forgivenesses that we have in knowing you, O oh Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So some of these verses are probably very familiar to you. Search me and know me, fearfully and wonderfully made, makes it to, you know, coffee mugs and t-shirts and inspirational posters. But for me, I wanted to share just a little bit about how this was meaningful and why I chose this psalm. I can look back at my life and think about different stages where this, uh, verses of the psalm have come up. So as a child, I was really comforted to know that God was always with me. He was there when I sat down, and he was there when I rose up. In the long hours of being in college and then in graduate school to become a doctor and in training to become a doctor, as I know many of you are in that stage of life, I was so thankful that God knew the path that was before me and he hemmed me in, even in this hard uh, situation that seemed to go on and on forever. But he knew my past, he had gone behind me and he was gonna go before me and he would be guiding me. And then in the joy of having my own children and seeing how truly God knit them together in my womb as, he, as it talks about here. I was just, again, amazed at how he was fearfully and wonderfully making these new little people. But also, Brandon and I experienced a miscarriage between our first and second son. And I know that in our church, we've had moms that have experienced that and even the loss of children recently. Um, and so I know that this psalm was a comfort to me and I hope it's a comfort to any of you that are going through grief that note to read that the darkness is not dark to God, and he is there in that horrible situation, and we'll see the way through. And then finally, as some of you know, I'm a doctor for adults that have developmental disabilities. And so this psalm challenges me and reminds me to look at each one of my patients, no matter their ability and their situation, and see them as fearfully and wonderfully made as human beings that are made in the image of their creator, whose purpose was written in his book before they were even one day old. But instead of looking at these individual verses, which are so beautiful and meaningful, I want to look at this in a different way today. I want to think about the theme here, though the word is not written, of transparency. Now, transparency in our culture has become a hot topic, and we're gonna talk about that in a second. But I did want you to know, you can go back to the, the slide right before that. Yeah, we're gonna go back to that. Um, that, you know, this psalm was written by King David, 
And he was somebody that had a lot of experiences. Sometimes we put David up on a pedestal and think about him as like, yes, the king, anointed, the man after God's own heart. But this man after God's own heart, he was a human being like you and me, you know? He was like the youngest dude in the family. And he was the last person that they thought was going to be king. He spent a lot of time fighting battles and was given victory over many. But he also was a refugee on the run. He, fle he fle fleed from uh, King Saul. And then his own son, Absalom, was, was after him. And so he didn't live in a palace very, very much. He was like running around and hiding in caves and such. And he even sinned against God. And it's just all spelled out there in scripture. He committed adultery. And yet, for some reason, God calls him a man after his own heart. And so when I think about, like, why would God say that about David? I think he was somebody that loved God's word and loved God's law. But he was also somebody who was transparent before God. He was honest and open about his feelings, where he was at, even if it was kind of ugly. And he laid these things before God transparently and openly so that God could transform his heart. And we're going to look at that a little bit today in this psalm. So you can go to the next, the, the funny slide. It's for you, Matt Barnes. Um, you're welcome. Um, so transparency. I don't know if y'all like to go to Google and play with those Ingram things where it looks at all the Google books to see the frequency of a word over time. But um, not now, um, but, but you may want to do that with transparency because there's an exponential use of this word from like 1985 to like the 2000s, right? It's a fun word that we like to use. Um, and so, so why has this become such a cultural value for us here in America? I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that. So transparency, what this means is that we openly and honestly share information and sometimes that happens in our work, right, where the leaders in our work share with all the employees. Sometimes it happens outwardly from an organization, whether that be a business or government, to, you know, the consumers or the open public, like what they share about their values of the culture, what they do or what their work is or their tax audits, etc. And transparency has grown as a value because it helps with honesty. It helps build trust kind of weed out corruption, right? And sometimes it's actually a safety thing. So if somebody that maybe an employee brings up to the leaders or the, to their boss, like, hey, something's not working out here, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity for safety. And also to integrate various views, which is also valuable. Now, uh, this slide points out, transparency can sometimes be, there's a generational gap in how we value that. Other generations or other cultures may value hierarchy and kind of like share on a need-to-know basis. Whereas, you know, I'm in a meeting and I have to disclose everything and hope that I have not left something out that I inadvertently that I haven't shared that I should be sharing. Um, so you can also oftentimes kind of be at odds with somebody about the value of transparency. But today, I want you to think about your transparency before God. Now, there's a difference between being transparent to God and being transparent with God. If you believe that God exists at all, maybe you don't trust him and you don't want to call him Lord quite yet, but if you believe that there's a divine person out there running the universe that's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, always everywhere, 
and omnipotent, he's got all powerful, he, you know that he knows what you're up to, right? He looks down on you and sees what's going on. And sometimes that makes you kind of feel like you want to run and hide. It's kind of like in Genesis 3 when Adam realized that he had messed up royally and he was naked. He went and hid under a bush. Obviously not hiding from God, but that's where he wanted to be. Because he felt God's judgment and didn't want to be in that place. But David doesn't talk about transparency and openness with God in that light, right? This is all positive. It's transparency with God. It's being open and honest about where we're at and trusting in our good heavenly father who has purposed us before we were even one day old. Now, even if you believe that, it's sometimes hard to be a doer of that, right? And for me, when I think about my struggle with transparency before God in prayer, I think of toddlers, like are shown in this little picture. So toddlers have those cute hands with dimples, and they're cute when they're like open and they're like, here you go, I love you, mom, I love you, dad. Here's what I'm up to, like this is what I made for you. But sometimes little toddler hands, they can grab onto stuff and they won't let go. You know, unless it's their sister or brother, their sister's hair or whatever they need that's gonna like hurt them. And so when we look at toddlers, we oftentimes find this stubborn uh, resistance kind of ridiculous or kind of funny because you could take them and you know, plop them wherever you want to go, they're still kind of small. But do we see ourselves, and ourselves being like the older people, maybe above the age of three, as ridiculous and stubborn as those little toddlers when we come before God and we won't let go of whatever we're holding on to? And so that's what this psalm is going to invite us to do today. And so, you're, again, you're not going to hear that word transparency, but I invite you to see it as a theme. And we're going to ask two questions. First, how do we come to a place of transparency with God. We're gonna look at the first three sections of the psalm with that question. And then how does that transparency allow God to transform us? And that's gonna be the last section. Okay, so first let's look at verses one through six. So transparency with anyone begins by building a trusting relationship, right? If I don't know somebody well, I'm a stranger, I'm not gonna tell them about all my past failures, mistakes, and what I'm up to, right? It's based on a history of trust. And that's where David begins this psalm. He says, you have searched me and know me. So this word searched or shakar is, is similar in the Hebrew as it is in English, where we can search for something, right? We're trying to find our shoe because we're late, right? Or it can be like search out to seek to examine something. So sorry for the doctor analogy, but think about your, like, your annual wellness visit where you go and your doctor looks you over from head to toe. But God here is not just examining you like the doctor looking you like on physically, but emotionally and looking at your motivations and looking at what is your identity and what makes you tick. That's how God searches you. And this word no, no in English is too broad because we think about no as like knowing stuff, information, or knowing somebody like we know our mom or our dad. But in the Hebrew, it divides this word out. And this word know is yada. It's the very intimate knowing, like as in between a husband and a wife. So it says, you have searched me and known me very intimately and fully. And again, it's that word have that is the present perfect for you grammarians. 
But long story short, what that means is that God knew us in the past. He searched us in the past, and he continues to do so. We have a history built here. Now, David now poetically is going to expand upon this idea, and he speaks directly to God. God is not just a spirit out there or a force. God is a person. David calls God you. He's speaking directly to God. And he says, you've discerned my thoughts. That the word discern means, you know, what I'm thinking and why I'm thinking it. He says, you've searched my path, you know, where I've been, and you've looked down the road with me. You are acquainted and familiar with all my ways. Think about this when you come home and your mom and your dad and your siblings and whoever lives in your house with you, like they know what you like, what you don't like. They even know how you're probably going to respond to certain situations. That and more is how familiar God is acquainted with us. And again, he knows every word before we even speak it. And David also uses a poetic imagery called a mirrorism. Now, a mirrorism, instead of saying something is like all or the totality of something, it's going to show it instead. So, for example, if anybody's ever prayed for God to bless you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, and I don't know if anybody's been blessed like that, but it's beautiful. We're not talking about like all your, your organs between the top of your head and the soles of your feet. What somebody is asking God to do is bless you entirely and fully, right? That's a mirrorism. And here, David says, you know when I sit and when I rise. There's not much in between there. God knows us fully. He says, you hem me in. You go behind me and before me. Again, that's a total knowing. And so by this end of this first section, David's already blown away that this God of the universe knows him so intimately and omnisciently, fully, in every way. And Jesus similarly picks up on this intimate, omniscient knowing, when he asks us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're to call the God of the universe our heavenly Father because that's how closely he knows us. So for a first thought, maybe something to think about later, when you pray to God, do you think of him that way, as fully knowing you and familiarly knowing you? But David's not going to stop there. So let's think about this section, next section and think about how God knows us in every place and situation. So this begins with a rhetorical question. Where shall I go from your spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? Now what's the answer to that question? Nowhere. But that's not really what it's asking because that's how a rhetorical question works. It's asking us to not be afraid of right here at City of Refuge on this Sunday. God is here. But he's also going to be there tomorrow when you're going to go do whatever you're going to go do. Or in every situation you've ever been in. That's what a rhetorical question invites you to ask yourself. Do you see God here? And then again, he uses those mirrorism things, right? So he says, if I go up to heaven or if I go down to Sheol, which was the place of the dead, Right? Where we can't even see heaven or the place of the dead, right? But he says, God is even there. And then he says, if I fly up on the wings of the morning or I go down into the depths of the sea. Now, for me, I imagine Mount Everest. And Mount Everest, just for a fun fact, is 29,000 feet above sea level. And then I imagine like the Mariana Trenches in the Pacific, which is actually deeper than Mount Everest is tall, which is mind blowing. It's 36,000 feet. So think about those two extreme places in earth, 
the top of Mount Everest, the bottom of Mariana Trenches. And he says, God is even there. He's everywhere. But God is not all, all just in every physical place we can imagine. He's in every situation. And David says that in verse, um, in the next section where he says that, let me find it here and I'll read it to you. He says, a hypothetical situation. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and he goes from there. So again, that's not a place, but it's a situation of darkness. Now, darkness in the ancient culture meant chaos. It wasn't just like when the lights are off. Think about like Genesis 1 where it says there was like a formless void. A dark situation is one where we can't see the way out. We can't see the purpose. We just see the evil of it. And David says, even God is there. So maybe you've lived through a situation, a desperate situation like that, or you know of one. There are many in our world today. And this invites you to say, God is there. And it's not as if the lights are off and he can't see what's going on. It's like as if in that dark situation, he is light and he's going to find a way and he's going to be there with you. Now, unlike David, who didn't know Jesus personally and couldn't look historically back to Jesus, he could only look prophetically ahead to Jesus, we can, in fact, look back to Jesus and know that God actually is in every dark situation. And so if we look at his death and we look at his resurrection, what Easter reminds us of all the time, we can in fact say that dark is not dark to God. He can take a dark situation and have victory over every sin and over every death, and he will do it. And we have to trust in that when we, if we're going to be open and transparent before him. So a question to think about for later after this section is, where are you at? Um, what is a place where you need to invite God into? A dark place where you need to say, Lord, turn on the lights. Have victory over this sin. Have victory over this grave. How can you transparently talk about those dark places with God? And then finally, God says, or David says that we should think about being transparent with God because he has formed us with purpose even before we were one day old. And David praises God because he is an amazing creator, not just of the whole world, but of him personally. Now, again, I think about this a lot with taking care of people with disabilities. So I asked one of my patients to, for her to share her faith. She had shared that she was a Christian. And I asked her how she thought about this particular verse and I wanted to uh, share with you what she said. Um, she was born with a congenital condition called uh, cerebral palsy, and it's where your brain doesn't form right, and if your brain doesn't form right, sometimes it doesn't tell your arms and legs to move. And so she's in a wheelchair, and she's quadriplegic. She, can, she uses her arms some, but they don't move um, function normally, and she can't walk at all. And so she says, life with cerebral palsy is not always easy. For me, physical challenges constantly come and go. One day I'm able to do something, and the next, no. And this, even if it's the same skill or task. And I've lived this way for 30 years, but I've not always had a positive feeling about my circumstances. Now, when I was a child, if I was asked, what's wrong with you? I would say, nothing's wrong with me. My arms and legs just don't move like yours do. But in my heart, I struggled, and I was deeply angry with God. Um, until the age of 14. 
And I struggled because, to find purpose and a reason, and I asked God, why me? And why do I deserve this? But she said, Psalm 139, verse 14, challenged me when it said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows this very well. Because not all people look at disabilities through the eyes of God. And even some Christians have found disabilities intolerable to society and maybe even thinking they were God's mistake. Maybe those people didn't deserve to live, or in some way, their death would be merciful. But it wasn't until I chose to focus on how God sees people and the gifts that I was given by him that I began to see God's plan and purpose for my own life. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, I see my disability as a different ability that God has for a greater purpose. And that all people are fearfully and wonderfully made and all have different abilities. And so my hope and my prayer, she writes, is to see, God, see people through the eyes of God and that every person has a purpose that God has planned. So in summary, we come to a place of transparency because we recognize and accept and love that God knows us fully and intimately, that he's in every place and every situation. And before we were even one day old, no matter what circumstance you were born into or born with, that God has purposely and wonderfully made you, and we should praise him for it. But we have to come and not just accept these things as true. We have to live into them. Remember that little toddler, right? We can know that our, our Heavenly Father is there and ultimately he's going to take care of us. But are we going to submit to him open hands or little grubby, stubborn hands? But if we are willing, and I've worked through some situations myself where I had to be like, oh, Lord, open these hands and just open them to the Lord. His promise is, is that he will transform us. And that's how this psalm ends, as many do. Like, I'm here, Lord, bring me to you, right? You'll see that pattern a lot in the psalms. And so by verse 17, David says to God, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. When you really experience God, and you do it over and over from walking with him, all of his ways will become precious to you, even if they are hard and they challenge the things that you want most and you want to hold on to. If you open your hands and you say, Lord, be here, transform me, he will become a precious treasure to you. And then David uses some very direct language, very. And he says, I loathe those things that rise up to against you. I hate them with a complete hatred. That's pretty hateful. And I count them as enemies, those things that are against God. And you're like, whoa, you know, that's some hot language. So why, why is David so direct here? And I think you come to a place where the things of God are so precious and lovely and holy to you that you realize that anything that's outside of that is ultimately destructive, not for yourself, but, but for the people around you that you love and for his creation, Right? That's what, that's what sin is. It's ugly, and it leads to death. And David says, I despise all that. And you can even be disgusted when it's you, or it's when in your own church, or your own nation. Um, I recently reread the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. If you need a, a lump of humility, that's the place to start for sure. 
Um, so he was a former slave and an abolitionist in 1850s. And so the Civil War, just so you know, is like in the 1860s. So this was about t a decade beforehand. And he learned how to read while he was an enslaved person. And the biography, autobiography tells you that. But he writes this. He says, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ. And therefore, I hate corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial hypocritical Christianity in this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling this religion Christianity. I recognize the widest possible difference between the Christianity of Christ and the Christianity of this land. So wide that to receive one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be a friend of one is to be the enemy of the other. I think Douglas really captures what David is getting at here. And I think the lesson to us all is when we're transparent about whatever it is going on with us before God and God transforms us, we see his ways as precious and we desire for everyone else in every situation else to know that precious love and transformative power of God. But David, again, is not just critical of those people around him. He takes a mirror and he turns it back to his own heart. So look at these end of these verses, and the last verse, 23 and 24. They're parallel to the beginning in verse 1. David writes, Search me, O God, know my heart, present tense. Try my thoughts, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in a way of everlasting. So the more we're transparent before God and the more he transforms us, we desire for God to search out anything that we may or may not know about in our own hearts, to, to weed it out, to take it out, and to plant his spirit in it instead so that we might continue to be transformed and walk in his way, which is the way of everlasting, whereas every other way leads to destruction and death. So I invite you now, and maybe in this time of rest and reflection over the next month, to ask yourself a few questions. So first, how do you view your transparency before God? Is it just transparency to God where you see him as like the administrator boss that's just going to come and get you in trouble? And you're like, oh, great. Or do you see it as something good, like David sees it, transparency with God, in relationship with God, that will eventually transform you into his likeness? And maybe you believe that in your head, but you need to be a doer of his word. Do you really talk with God in prayer about your struggles, your sins, and call him that? your decisions, whether great or small, or your interactions with others, your relationships, knowing that he is in every situation. Every dark situation is not dark to God. And he can make a way where there's no way, because he's in the business of doing so. Do you recognize yourself and recognize all people as fearfully and wonderfully made and ask God to show you his good purposes for yourself and for you? 
And then maybe you're somebody who has had this history with God. He has searched you and he has known you. And you've seen the way that his ways have become precious to you. You know, that can really be an encouragement to somebody that is in one of those dark, deep Mariana Trench places. So I encourage you to share that and give God the victory and give him the praise and glory and honor because that's what the Bible is all about from the start when God breathed over that formless void to the end when we see him in his throne and we get to be with the glorious son forever and ever who has redeemed us from a dark place of sin so that we could be with him and be completely transparent with him forever and ever. So I hope this blesses you today. I hope God um, just comes into your life and you trust him and you're open with him. Maybe it's the first time and you feel like, gosh, there's, I just want to open my hands to the Lord and see what he has to say. I don't know. I don't know if I can take his hand yet, but I'm willing to kind of say, Lord, just open these grubby toddler hands. It's a good place to start. And I'll tell you that even for us that have been walking with the Lord, we still need God to do that in our lives. Let's go before him. Oh God, we need you. We need you to search our hearts. We need you to know us fully and completely from the tops of our heads to the bottoms of our feet, oh Lord. And we thank you that uh, the Psalms just are so, are so beautiful and articulated, telling us about it's okay to come to you with wherever we're at, God. If we're frustrated, if we're tired, if we're bored, if we're hungry, we can come to you with all of that. But we also need to be ready and willing to receive what you would have for us. So that can only be done by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, who conquered over the grave. And so we trust and put our hope in that now. I ask that you would transform my brothers and sisters into people more and more in your likeness, and they would praise your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen.